Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Uh, well, good morning. May I add my welcome uh, to David's? My name's uh, Will. I'm the assistant minister here. Um, if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 2. Sorry, defog. Mark chapter 2. We're carrying on in our series through, uh, through the Gospel of Mark. Hopefully there'll be Bibles uh, nearby, either up on the windowsills or by your chairs. Mark chapter 2, and we're reading verses uh, 1 to 17. Let's listen to God's words. And when he, that's Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he's preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's words to us. Now, our passage this morning has two very normal activities uh, in it, but, but two activities that actually become uh, quite extraordinary by the end. Two, uh, walking and eating. 
They're very normal, aren't they? Uh, and yet here they sparkle. You know, just imagine rather than kind of a child dragging their feet as you head off to the shops, I want you to imagine uh, walking along the, the golden sand on Aberdeen Beach on a, on a sunny, uh, warm evening. Okay, you're feeling the sand between your toes. There's no hurry. It's just enjoyment. Um, that you, you can hear the waves lap, lap at the shore. Uh, and then you find an empty bit of seawall and you, you, you tuck into a fish and chips uh, with a good friend. Okay, you're chatting, you're sharing crispy batter, uh, tasty chips. Okay, two very normal activities, walking and eating, and yet they can be beautiful, can't they? And here in this passage, we get someone who enjoys walking like never before. And some people who get to share a meal in a sumptuous way. Uh, Jesus is bringing joy. He's bringing joy in our passage uh, this morning. Um, but before he does, he actually gives some, has some shocking news for us. He, he shows us a big problem. A problem. Now we're back in Capernaum. Uh, not sure how long after Jesus was previous there, we're not told, but, but Jesus, he's back into the swing of things. He's preaching, he's teaching. Uh, if you remember last week, that was his focus. That's why he's come. And uh, the, the, the house he's in is probably, you know, is absolutely packed, okay? People are squished in a bit like sardines in a tin. I think my, my closest experience to this probably is being in the, the, the London tube, if you've ever been in it, on a, on a uh, rush hour on a hot summer's afternoon, okay? Um, everyone's pushing in, and there, there always seems to be room for one more person. They kind of, <clears throat> you're kind of, you're crammed in, um, and I reckon people here with Jesus would have been kind of hanging onto the window ledges. They're, they're, they're trying to catch any word that Jesus is saying. And because so, somewhere in there, kind of past the crowds, past these, even these scribes who we'll come to later, was, was Jesus speaking these, these great words of salvation to people. But then there's a noise. There's uh, quietly at first, but then, then louder and louder. There's kind of a scratching from above, bits of rubble, bits of dirt start falling on people's heads. You know, no one's listening anymore. Necks are kind of arched, uh, craning up to, to have a look. You know, people are saying, what's going on? I, I can see daylight. Um, the, the hole in the roof gets bigger and bigger. Now, now that's strange enough, isn't it? You know, people are probably... Uh, just uh, thought some guys were desperate to hear Jesus' teaching, you know. But then four heads kind of look in, uh, and then a mattress is lowered down with a man lying on it. Uh, and this man was a paralytic. Perhaps his leg muscles had, had withered by this point. Not sure if he was a, a quadriplegic, a paraplegic, but he's clearly there paralyzed. And his need was obvious, wasn't it? He was absolutely bedridden for life. Um, perhaps, I don't know, living in a corner of a room, lying there. Uh, and just imagine, especially in this kind of times, people head off to work. Uh, and he just lays there, waiting, quiet. Kind of dead-like in a sense. And, and then in the evening, some might say hello, give him some food. But perhaps conversations at the table carry on around him. People coming and going, and he's just there. He's lying there. And then Jesus says to him, Son, you, your legs are made better. Or, or, son, I, I know your need. Get up and walk. No, he says, Son, 
your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Imagine those friends and that man. The confusion. You know, they had hauled their friend of theirs, I don't know how far, up some steps, opened a roof, um, looking like fools in front of the whole town, and then Jesus just says, your sins are forgiven. I wonder what emotions were running through them in that moment. But Jesus wasn't pulling a prank here. He's not, he's not doing anything silly. He's deadly serious. Jesus was saying to everyone, everyone in front of him and to us, whatever you might think is your greatest problem, right here, this man's greatest problem is sin. What's the problem? It's sin. He's saying you need forgiveness more than you need healing. You need all your evil, your false religion, your pride, your hate, your selfishness. You need your rejection of God, your lack of love for your brother, your short temper, your self-righteousness. You need your judgmentalism, your pride, your idolatry, your lust, your self-promotion. You need it all deep down for it all to be forgiven. Forgiven before God himself. My son is saying your, your greatest problem is not your legs, it's your heart. It's your heart of sin and stone, your dead heart before God. Now, Jesus could have said this at the start of any of his healing miracles. We know he's done loads of miracles. So why this one? Why now? Now, he's not saying it because this man is more sinful than than anyone else. Okay, we'll see this idea of sin, I suppose, being ranked in the next story. And his paralysis, we know, it isn't necessarily linked to a specific sin. We know that from lots of places in the Bible. We know all suffering is caused by sin generally, um, but, but not necessarily an individual specific sin being caused by an individual, uh, sorry, individual specific suffering being caused by a specific sin. Okay, we need to just read the book of Job uh, to know that. But no... I wonder if he's doing it now because paralysis is an extraordinary picture of sin and its effects. That's why I wanted to describe the, the, the paralytic um, situation before. Because sin cripples us, doesn't it? Kind of makes us dead-like. Rather than the joy of walking, it leaves us movementless like a stone. Rather than leaping, you're lying. Sin wrecks. It's wrecked our relationship with God. It it continually wrecks our relationships with each other. We're isolated. We we look around our lives and think we're running for joy, and yet we're actually curled up on a bed, unable to move. Desperate, waiting, waiting for God's final judgment on it. And we see this fruit of sin all around us, don't we? Our world is paralyzed. it can't get away from the repeated record of, of conflict, of extortion, of sexual exploitation, of slavery, of lying, of cheating, of murder, of adultery, of swearing, of jealousy, of spite. It, and it's not just out there, is it? It's in here. It's in here. Your greatest problem, my greatest problem is our sin. And it's so pervasive because it's fundamental. It's so big because it's, it's personal. At its heart is our cosmic rejection of, of God himself. It's the, the deep treason of saying, I'm God and you're not. 
I'm king and will live how I want and you go and rot in a ditch, God's. Now I wonder if we forget this. I forget this for a few reasons. Perhaps, perhaps like the paralytic, life has just got so many difficulties in it at the moment for you. And pressures and hardships and we can lose sight of what's going on in our lives. Perhaps for you tomorrow is, is going to be a really difficult day. I don't know, you're, you're worried about paying the bills. Your, your, your mental health means you're struggling just to get out of bed. And boy, these problems are real, aren't they? And they hurt. You know, this paralytic, he's paralyzed. And it wasn't that Jesus was ignoring it or that he wasn't saddened by it. No, we've seen his heart clearly. We saw that last week, didn't we? But he wants us to see our hearts before God first. Now, this isn't victim blaming, okay? I'm not saying things are hard in your life because you're a worse sinner than some, someone else, okay? Some things are, are our fault, aren't they? Some things are definitely not, okay? Just because you or I have sin in our life, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anyone should have abused you or treated you badly. No, that is their sin. That is never justified. But all of us, all of us are still before God, aren't we? A God who is good, a God who is just and holy and love. And he's a God we have rejected. Even with all that's going on around us, this is our most fundamental thing of our existence, us and God. Who we are before our eternal creator, the one who made us, who gave us this world. He is, and so we are. Don't crowd out that voice. This matters. This is what matters first. And it, it needs sorting before anything else. This is urgent, okay? It's not later. It's not, it's not once I've got my life sorted. Not once I've, uh, I've paid my bills. I've got my life, uh, lived my life a bit. No, because this is our greatest problem. It's more important, you know, for your kids to deal with this than they get to a good school and get good exam results. It's more important that I deal with this problem than whether, you know, I survive my treatment in the future. It's more important that you deal with this than, than just enjoying yourself. The problem, the problem is our sin. But knowing this, this, this sin is our problem. We need a way out, don't we? We don't just want the bad news this morning. Well, Jesus comes out with this massive statement. Let's go back to it in verse 5. Son, your son, sins are forgiven. Jesus is saying, well, if that's the problem, then I'm the solution. The, the, the problem, sin, the solution is Jesus Jesus can forgive sin. Now, the, the scribes are absolutely right at this moment. Verse 7, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? These guys are right. No one can forgive sins uh, but God. God has been clear about that in his word. He's, he's the one who forgives sins, and that makes sense. You know, if you think of David in Psalm 51, that famous psalm, what does he say? He says, against you, God, against you only have I sinned. Jesus goes on. Now, he knows what's in their hearts, and he poses a question to them in verse 9. It may seem a bit confusing on first reading. He says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, what's the answer to that question? 
Well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven, okay? Because no one can actually see that. No one can knows whether it's happened or not. Whether to say, to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Now, that's a very different thing. That can be verified, can't it? People can tell if that's true or not. But Jesus is up in the ante saying, look, I've said I forgive sins. Now, I'm going to prove it by utterly transforming this man's life with a power only God could have. So he says, rise, take up your bed and walk and go home. And what happens? He rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Jesus does it. Now, Mark doesn't fill in the gaps for us. There's no narrator saying, so, so Jesus showed us was, he was God. It doesn't say that, does it? Mark doesn't do that for us. Uh, no, it's a bit ambiguous. And Jesus even uses what can seem a little ambiguous term, this son of man. And that comes from Daniel chapter 7. And there, the son of man is different to God. Uh, he goes to the ancient of days, but yet he has an everlasting kingdom and, and is served and glorified and honored a lot like God. So is he God or not? Well, the fact that Jesus here links forgiveness of sins and this healing of the paralytic so closely has got to point to him being God. He doesn't say that the scribes are wrong. No, he's just blowing their categories out of the water. He's showing them God has come. He is God. He is the son of man. And he has absolute authority to forgive sins. He's the solution because he can forgive. And just look at what this means. Okay, that paralytic. Okay, rather than dead in the corner, rather than kind of lying curled up, hardly able to live, he's on his feet. Those feet are are pressing their prints into the dirt beneath him. Those legs have a spring in their step. Perhaps as he left, I don't know, he may have even skipped a little. Life where there was death, joy where there was sadness. Forgiveness frees a withered soul. It turns stone into flesh. It lifts us up. Listen to what one commentator said. He said, as the paralytic went home, he bore something far more impressive than his bed. It was a clean heart, the greatest miracle of all. No guilt, no bitterness, no tension. Someday those newly restored limbs would wither, but there would remain in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life, for his sins were forgiven. Once isolated from God and from each other, guilt, shame, lurking deep within, now restored, wiped clean, rather than enemies, friends. And perhaps, perhaps you know that, um, just that feeling of forgiveness, but from, from a friend or family member. You know, you've hurt them, you, you wish you could turn back time, I don't know, raise what you'd said or done, and it, it eats at you, but then they, they come to you. They come to you and, and forgive you. They say it's gone. They, they hold you close again. The relief, the, the restoration, the tears of joy that flow. And that's just for a friend. Jesus here is offering forgiveness with God. God himself, forgiveness for all your sin, all your corruption and rebellion, amnesty from God. This is official pardon. 
This is sins blotted out, past, present, future, like a stained shirt, spotless. This is grace. And it's found in Jesus. He's the solution because he can forgive. And later in the gospel, we'll see it's not only found in him, but more than that, it comes through him, doesn't it? He dies to bring it about. Forgiveness can be found and it comes in Jesus. The solution, it's Jesus. And, and deep down, we know this is what we want and we need, isn't it? We want sin to be gone. We, we want it to be wiped away. Because we try, we try and try to get rid of it, don't we? Perhaps for you, it may be through perfection. You try and live a squeaky clean life. Perhaps cover over your sin in good works like the, the person giving themselves to charity work to make up for their dark past. The, the churchgoer doing everything they can serving in any way possible to hopefully earn God's love for them. Or perhaps instead we try and drown it out. We drown out our guilt and our sin. We make a louder noise so we don't have to hear it. Perhaps through alcohol, through fast living, perhaps through addiction or through exercise, through hard work, or, or even by increasing the pain elsewhere so we don't feel it deep down. Or perhaps we just shove it down, shove down the guilt, try and move on, ignore it. But we know none of these actually work, do they? Because it's only Jesus who has authority to forgive sin. It's only him who can wipe away our failings and our past. Only him who can restore us to God and free us from judgment. The problem is sin. The solution is Jesus. Because he can forgive. Now you may think, you may think well, that, I, I get that, okay? I, I understand Jesus has the power to forgive my sin, but that doesn't mean he will. That doesn't mean he wants to. Well, if that's you, get a load of what happens next. Because Jesus is out by the sea. We're now in verse 13. He's out by the sea, and that's the Sea of Galilee. And he's been doing some teaching again, and he's walking along, and he sees Levi, a tax collector, sitting at his tax booth. Now, it's, it's important to know a little bit about tax collectors. Um, in our society, I think tax collectors perhaps are disliked, if at all, simply because of the tax um, we, we know we need to pay it. We don't like being reminded, and it's, it's nothing personal. But in Israel at this time, it was definitely personal. Tax collectors were hated for two reasons. One, they were often like kind of legal thieves. Okay, they, they, they took more in order to make a profit. So often these, uh, probably men, were, were deeply immoral. They were lying. They were thieving. Greedy people hated for it. And they're also hated because they're working for the Romans. Okay, that's the occupying force. It's perhaps in today's language a bit like the Taliban's hatred for Afghan interpreters who've worked for the British or, or French hatred for Nazi collaborators. It's, it's that kind of perhaps feeling going on. But these guys were hated sinners. And yet Jesus, he's walking along and he goes up to this tax booth to Levi and he calls him. He says, follow me. You know, Jesus didn't head to the mayor's office or the local benefactor or the head teacher of the, the local Jewish school to call them. No, he, he passed a tax booth and called Levi. 
And then Levi invites him home and, and gets all his mates around. Come and see this guy, you know, and, and there are other tax collectors, other sinners. Perhaps the, these are public sinners, remember? So perhaps there are I don't know, prostitutes or other immoral professions at that time. And, um, and you know, it's perhaps like heading to a, um, to tea at a known drug dealer and, and pimp who has some mates who money launder. And, and seem to have a lot of stolen goods that are shipping around the place. It, it, it's like that. And not surprisingly, this was scandalous. Jesus, this rabbi, he's deciding to spend time with, with these people who don't deserve it, with those who are moral, outside the law, rejected by normal society. And more than that, you notice Jesus eats with them. He eats with them. He sits at a table chatting and eating with them. He's not just berating them and shouting at them from the sideline. No, he's actually sharing bread with them. He's having water from the same jug, casserole from the same pan. He's, he's asking for the salt to be passed down by one of them. He's, he's moving his chair in so one of them can get past. He, he's perhaps sharing a joke with them, asking how their kids are doing. Now, why? Why is Jesus with them? Well, he loves them, and it's because, verse 17, he's their doctor, he's their physician. He's come to bring healing of their deepest problem. He's come to actually forgive sin. And if that's the case, then then no one is out of bounds because there's no sin out of bounds. You know, like, like any doctor, if you go to a skin doctor with a skin problem, they won't say, oh, sorry, I only deal with nappy rash. You know, they're, they're, no, they're, they're, to, they're to deal with any and every kind of skin disease. You know, Jesus doesn't only deal with minor misdemeanors. It's not like you, you go to him with all your sin and he says, sorry, I only forgive the little ones. No way. He, he welcomes the worst there is no sin too big, no past too dark. You may be a violent, abusive husband. You may have a spiteful, sharp tongue. You, you might be up to your neck in sexual sin and pornography addiction. Well, Jesus has come to forgive the lot. Because Jesus not only came to forgive sins, he, he not only can forgive, he wants to forgive He wants to forgive. He wants to come to those so sick in their sin, they're nearly on death's door and say, my son, your sins are forgiven. And that includes you, whoever you are. You are welcome, not because your sin is okay or doesn't matter, not because everyone is is just fine and being nasty is suddenly the new nice. No, Jesus hates sin. He hates your sin. And yet in his mercy, he wants to forgive it. He wants to make you well again. Like like he said to Levi, he says to each of us, follow me. Come to me. I will forgive your sins. I will make you right with God and make you new. Will you do that today? If you've never heard the sweet words of Jesus in your soul, my son, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. Come to him today. Follow him today. Hear that powerful call to you. And may you know the sweet wonder of forgiveness. Because Jesus takes your sin. 
He actually put it on himself as he was nailed to the cross. He, he suffered the punishment. And then in return, covers his people with goodness and perfection. He did it for his people. People like you and me. He wants to forgive. Now to finish. Two warnings for us. Two warnings. Firstly, don't, don't exclude yourself from this. Now we've just seen we can think we're too bad for Jesus. But we've seen Jesus' love is so much greater than that. But there's, a, there's another way we can exclude ourselves. And it's as we walk along with the scribes and the Pharisees. Notice who Jesus doesn't come for. Have a look at verse 17 again. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is not in the business of calling those who are righteous. Now, he, he doesn't mean that somehow there are people who are actually perfect. Okay, no, it's, it's clear from the rest of the gospel that not even those who think they're the, the, the perfection, not even them are righteous before the law. No, he means those who think they're righteous. Perhaps we'd say today, self-righteous. We think we're actually doing okay. We've, we've set up a list of sins that we aren't doing, and we congratulate ourselves um, and quietly forget our others like judgmentalism and pride. And that the telltale sign is we look down on others. That's what's going on here, isn't it? The scribes or the scribes of the Pharisees see the sin in front of them and they can't believe Jesus is with them. At least I'm not. So that's the phrase in our heads. At least I'm not a mess like them. At least I don't swear like she does. At least I'm not as horrible as them. And as we start to do that, we drift away from the doctor. We drift away from the one who forgives sins. We don't need a doctor, we think, as our sin piles up before us. And Jesus leaves us there. He excludes it. We've excluded ourselves. And the final, finally, the other warning is don't exclude others. Jesus, Jesus here at table with these sinners is a little picture of the church, isn't it? A little picture of people of all walks of life being with Jesus. In a sense, taking the Lord's Supper together, welcomed by him. Sinners in all shapes and sizes, following and walking with Jesus. May this picture, may this picture stick in your minds. May it be the one we want for Trinity Aberdeen. You know, will you be willing to speak to someone who's different to you after church this morning? Will you be willing to invite you know, that, that kid at school that everyone hates? Will you be willing to have tea with a catty colleague? Will you say hello to a, a homeless person on Urquhart Road or a lawyer on Union Street? Don't exclude others and don't exclude yourselves. And, and what changes our hearts? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it? Because what was the problem? He came for our sin. And what was the solution? It was him. He forgives it. Here this morning, we sit and stand as equals, don't we? From the richest, the poorest, men and women, young and old, Scottish, English, Nigerian, beyond. Why? Because we all have that same greatest problem, sin. And as we follow Jesus, we, we're all forgiven by Jesus. Not because of us, but because he wants to. That's grace, isn't it? What a gospel. Amen.